Welcome to another episode of the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. I am your co-host, Mike Booch, a.k.a. Looking Ass, and I am thrilled to be joined by my sexy co-host as always. Please give it up for Ty. Hey, this is Ty, a.k.a. Roar Snack. Oh, god damn, two, two episodes in a row you have beaten my ass with these a.k.a.s. <laughs> Watchmen's brought out the best in me. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yes, that's right. So we are reviewing, reading between the lines of delving into HBO's Watchmen series. Uh, of course, showrunner David Lindelof, uh, but uh, also a variety of other very um, talented writers. I hate using the term talented. You want to know why? Why? All writers are natural. Oh. oh. Eh, no, no, no. Ta- yeah, in my opinion, <laughs> talent's natural. It's not something that you... Like you can have like a natural talent and then work on it, but also when you've worked on it, like you can just be a good writer or a smart writer or that, whatever. That's a, a great point. People. That's a great point. So I won't be reading a summary of the episodes. We're only doing episodes four, five, and six. We did the first three last week, um, but yeah, we're going to be delving into those episodes, and uh, I'm very excited because episodes five and six are two of my three favorite of the whole season, and uh, some really great stuff there to talk about. Yeah, the place where I shot myself in the foot was that I um I should have watched just four, five, and six, but I it was so good that I binged watched all the way through the end of the <laughs> season, and then I had to look back and be like, what happened in episodes four, five, and six? Because like the last three episodes are so intense. Oh, yeah. the whole series is good, but like every episode, you're just like, oh, what the fuck was the last one? I, yeah. I love this. It definitely builds. Like it, it's kind of it's world building in the beginning, and then. Some great revelations in the middle, and then just some crazy shit at the end. But uh, yeah, I, I I didn't rewatch the last three because I wanted to um, to remember what happened in the episodes we're reviewing more. Before we go into these episode reviews, I just have some housekeeping I want to take care of. First off, we're just hearing uh, I like this is like all less than two days old. We are learning about Jacob Blake. He was a a man that was shot in Wisconsin seven times in the back by police officers. There is a uh, there is a a Facebook video, like a video someone recorded on their phone and put on Facebook. From what I know of the situation, which, you know, I only looked at it a few hours ago. Who knows what we know now? Uh, But it was in Wisconsin. There was a man named Jacob Blake. He is a he's a black man. He was called to uh, break up a domestic dispute between two women, break up a fight between them. Cops ended up getting called, and of course, uh, you know, there's videos of two of them pointing guns at his back. He's walking away from them. He walks uh, to the driver's seat of his vehicle to get in, or maybe to grab something. Who knows? Uh, this vehicle, by the way, does have children in it, and the cops shot him at least seven times in the back. He's uh, he's being treated for those wounds. Uh, as as of last I checked, he was alive, but. Who knows if he'll survive. Have you heard about this yet, Ty? You sent me a video uh, before we recorded. I did watch it. Uh, yeah, so it, you know, it's obviously a pretty disturbing video to watch. 
Um, you know, he's he's climbing to the vehicle and they just start unloading on him. I think they said several shots. Seven shots were fired or several shots were fired? It was at least seven shots. Seven. Like okay, if you yeah. listen to the video, you can hear seven, but, you know, who knows? Yeah, I mean, with his kids in the car, you know, he, he's not dead, right? I think he's in the hospital. I, I don't know if he's, he's going to make it or not. I, I don't think they've really... Uh, so what his condition is, but think about how traumatizing that is for his kids, you know, no matter what, like to remember your father being shot by police and that's going to stick with you. Um, and, and you want to know why people don't trust the police. I mean, would you, would you grow up and trust them after that? I wouldn't, you know, uh, that would, that would definitely always be in the back of my mind. Um, you know, and they said they're not sure if they saw a weapon or whatnot. His back was to them, you know, again, there, there's so many other options, um, you know, they could have done, uh, you know, I don't think force was necessary, but, you know, don't they have tasers too? Like, why do they go for the gun first? I, I don't know. I'll, I'll never understand that. They always manage to find ways to apprehend white suspects or white perps. They always find a way to apprehend them in a safer manner than they do black people. So it's like, even if he is going into the car to get a handgun or whatever it may be. Like, let's say the worst of the worst is happening. They suspect that he's on drugs, so for some reason he may not be affected by the taser. They believe black people are supervillains um, or super predators, as to quote uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton. And, um, and like, let's say he was all of those things and he was attempting to, to do that. They followed him right behind his back, meaning, guess what? You're not in fear for your life. And also, they... Uh, unloaded seven rounds into a car with children in it bullets ricochet they don't just stop okay and if you're shooting someone point blank in the in the back seven times means you're not a good shot okay so who knows whatever shots might have missed made it in you know into the rest of the car and put these kids in danger like man have um so i know i spoke about it off mic i've been listening to behind the police uh, it's a, it's a mini series. It's a podcast series. Please, 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 please check it out. It is only six episodes long. They're about an hour each episode. It's called behind the police. And it talks about how, uh, policing has, has come about not throughout just this country, but, uh, it, you know, how it came about from the world and, and made its way to America, you know, went from the whole slave patrols to, yeah. uh, you know, to the, to the clan and to, you know, people pushing, uh, uh, you know, gangster rackets on on the average citizens and also eventually becoming police. And the reason why I'm bringing up behind the police, uh, obviously because of everything the past few months and uh, since the entire beginning of our country, uh, but also because Robert Evans, he also hosts a podcast uh, called Behind the Bastards. Uh, they do have an episode on Trump, at least one. And, uh, you know, they cover like some of history's most infamous people. But most recently, Robert Evans was also uh, at Portland at the Portland protests where they faced off with white supremacists or anti-protesters, whatever you want to fucking call them. And he got his hand broken. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Robert Robert Evans, uh, you know, friend of the Daily Zeitgeist, another podcast which we which we freak, frequent from time to time. Uh, so uh, so yeah, check out Behind the Police if you haven't already. We'll include a link in the show notes as we do for literally everything. And um, you know, definitely uh, follow Robert Evans. His Twitter is full of his own behind the scenes uh, videos of what was going on at that at that protest recently in Portland. That's awesome. And uh, and also don't 
fucking, uh, you know, when I looked up the thing about Jacob Blake, there were so many already that said, oh, riots and all this other stuff happening and vandalism and protests and blah, blah, blah. Once again, don't tell me just about the symptoms. Tell me about the cause. Tell me about what causes the sickness in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not an excuse to shoot someone in the back, right? So. Yeah, and guess what? If we're back to that same fire that we had before just after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, let's go for it. Because, once again, just talking doesn't get anything done, unfortunately. People care more about public property, so take that shit down. Yeah, uh, you know, as we see, painting Black Lives Matter uh, doesn't doesn't actually help end systematic racism. You know, policy change does, so... Well said. Well done. Do you know what else was well done? Watchmen? Episodes well, four, five, yes, six? But oh. <laughs> the next part of my housekeeping. I'm sorry. I had to cover. I can't talk about Watchmen. I cannot talk about a DC property without talking about what I what I just saw this past weekend. Did you see the Batman trailer? Uh, all I have to say is I am vengeance. Dude, I am so ready for this. <laughs> and I haven't been excited about a Batman movie in a long time. You know that. Like, I, I'm not going to say it's going to be better than Dark Knight, but this might be the best Batman portrayal. I don't know. I'm really excited about Robert Pattinson and he looks awesome. Um, I'm excited about the Riddler. It seems like they're going to go after the detective angle a little bit more, which always seems to be left out of the films, unfortunately. So, I'm, you know, I'm hoping he has to solve some actual riddles and, and show uh, why it was called Detective Comics and not Batman originally. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, this, this, uh, has a rings very earth one to me you remember Earth yeah, One, right yeah yeah this this kind of has the same idea to me uh so so i'm definitely i'm definitely looking forward to that because that was a that was a, a cool you know original and might i say realistic take on batman which it, it definitely was want, but don't want definitely <laughs> they said this takes place in year two of batman um, and there's going to be a HBO Max series about Gotham PD, which takes place in year one. I guess that ties in. So it should be interesting. Oh, that's amazing. Yep. I'm so on board for that. All right. Now that we've covered that, let's move on to the to the Watchmen series that we've been reviewing. I want to cover some stuff that I actually forgot to mention last time. Sure. So I don't think we mentioned how in the second scene of the, of the introduction to episode one, how... The guy who gets pulled over, the white supremacist who ends up being part of Seventh Calvary, he is listening to rap music. Oh yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, uh, there are some statistics in the show notes uh, that I put for our first part of this. What I'm going to do for this actually is just make the show notes one long uh, show note, like for all nine episodes, instead of like posting new ones every week. Right. So I'm just going to keep adding to it every week uh, for those of you who actually do uh, check that out. Uh, but yeah, there there are some statistics on just how many white people happen to love hip hop. Uh, but you know, it seems like a lot of them hate where it comes from. So it comes from Eminem, obviously. Yes, Eminem, the godfather of hip hop, the creator. Um, you know, actually, you know, quick note on that, real quick, is just uh, how it does seem to be that like a lot of people may hate black people or the black community, but like the stuff that, but like the stuff that they create because. I think it goes back to that whole like servitude thing. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. we love what you do for us. We love the enjoyment you bring us, but we just don't like you. Yeah, I mean, Southern food is really black food. You know, and people like they love it, right? White people love Southern food. All that, uh, you know, Popeyes fried chicken and all that. 
Yeah, fried chicken, waffles, collard greens, stuff like that. Exactly. Maybe I'll do a, a quick dive and find out where that where that food came from as well. Because, uh, you know, because there's a whole, like, I, I think I heard somewhere that it was like, oh, well, like, you know, this is the food that we that we had to cook, you know, and now, like, it's co-opted as, like, this whole comfort food thing. It's yep. interesting. It's interesting. It is. But, it yeah, really so, so those guys listening to rap stuff, I also didn't mention uh, – much about reparations, which we can go into because the Redfordations about, you know, they kind of carry throughout all of the episodes. Yes. Here. But I wanted to mention it because I was actually watching a interview between Mark Bernardin from the Fat Man Beyond podcast and Damon Lindelof. Damon Lindelof, of course, being the showrunner, the individual who is responsible for this show happening. And he was he talked about a lot of things in this interview it was really great about how he wanted to get such a diverse writing, uh, you know, writing uh, team and also a diverse cast. We'll talk about Lady True in a little bit. And he talks about how Lady True was uh, like part of the casting process as well. Like even though she was an actor, she would be there to, you know, to help them figure out who um, who authentic Vietnamese speakers were for all the f- scenes they had with Vietnamese uh, characters. Wow, that's amazing. And yeah, yeah it, it really is. And also like how she would also be there to stop them even, you know, in the writer's room, like she'd see the script and then be like, all right, this is not what this person would do. This isn't how they would act, blah, blah, blah. Here are the values of a Vietnamese person. And then they would take that back to the writer's room and work with it. So like, you know, Damon Lindelof getting rid of ego and just, you know, t- telling this story. But but one thing he mentioned is the reason he put Black Wall Street in here was he was reading Ta-Nehisi Coates's, uh The Case for Reparations and talking about you know, how, like, he didn't even know that Black Wall Street, you know, the, the Tulsa massacre of 1921 happened, which is what you and I were speaking about last episode, too, right? Yep. Yeah, a lot of white people did not know about this. Yeah, so, uh, and it's always the white people who want to talk about erasing history. You can't erase history, blah, 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 <laughs> and ignoring the part of the history where police were sla- uh, were originally slave patrol and how, um, you know, all the terrible things that have happened to black people to make, to make a case for reparations, which... Yep. Uh, you know, which uh, I, I, you know, did a little bit of deep diving myself, not too deep, but I, you know, watched an interview with Tana Nessie Coates and when he talks about like how, how like, you know, the history of systemic racism has actually put black people at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, if you are truly about like this economy and capitalism and everything, you would give everybody an equal amount so that way they can help boost this economy. Like how this country was built on the blacks, uh, the backs of black labor, but those people never saw any any compensation for that labor. So therefore, while while today, not you know, people who were slaves or people who owned slaves, none of them are around today. While that is technically true, there's still a class of people who are benefiting from that labor and a class of people who are you know playing 300 years of catch up. Exactly. I mean, if you're you know, if you had family that were slaves. You probably are still at a disadvantage, right? Like you just, you probably still have, uh, you know, things that have held down your, you know, maybe immediate members of your family, whether it's your parents or grandparents, and, and even you yourself. So, uh, you know, I think it's a, uh, it's silly when people make that argument. You know, they they, they think that just because slavery doesn't exist doesn't mean we still aren't feeling the effects of it, um, and we absolutely are. We 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 definitely are. 
Yeah, and this brought me down the the rabbit hole of uh, redlining as well, uh, which we have show notes on that and everything. But redlining plays into sundown towns, which is something that I mentioned last time. Our friend Bronson had offered his advice as a black man who lives in Oklahoma uh, about sundown towns. Now, do you do you know what sundown towns are? No, I actually don't. I didn't know. No. Okay, so I didn't know, like, I just read it, and I was like, oh, that's okay. And then a uh, friend of the podcast, Joe Armstrong, actually uh, brought it up when I spoke with him last. And I was like, that's what a sundown town is? So I did, uh, you know, a little more research. But it turns out that sundown towns are, area, are, are towns that were made specifically to be white. And if you were a black person in there after the sun went down, you were going to be having a, a lot of trouble. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, that you would be, you know, attacked by the cops, arrested, or worse. So, so apparently Bronson says that sundown towns still exist. So great move on the on the showmakers for just uh, choosing Oklahoma as the backdrop because you know it does seem to be a place that still has a lot of that a lot of that racist history yep. and is still suffering from that segre- from that segregation even if it's not on paper. Wow. So yeah, so check that stuff out in the show notes. But yeah, so um. We have episode four, episode five, and episode six. You down to bounce around with these again? Yeah, absolutely. So episode four for me, you know, it, it was good, especially the first time I watched it. Like I enjoyed it. It was more of, you know, the the mystery being uh, solved, and you know, Angela finding out about her parents. But you know, five and six for me were where I really started to love the show. Uh, at least the first time I watched it. I'm really enjoying it on the second viewing. But um, it, those episodes really stood out to me. Uh, you know, and uh, they just really, they really tie the Watchmen universe together with this new season, and I thought that was was really really great. All right, so where it seems we're going straight into episode five and six, let me just uh, throw the three notes that I had about episode <laughs> four out there because similar to you, you know. Um, also, I will admit I slacked off because I just wanted to kind of enjoy the show a bit. So yeah, I, I, I feel you on that definitely. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so ep- episode four it brings in the egg. Which now, now that I've seen the entire series, I know is very important. So if you're just watching it for the first time, keep an eye out for eggs. We have <laughs> eggs in, uh, we have eggs in the first episode, uh, in which uh, you know the, our first introduction to Angela Abar. She's using eggs to make a smiley face and talk to Topher's classroom. Uh, I think we also see it if it's not in the first three episodes. I think it is in the first three episodes that that uh, Will Reeves, who is the old man she finds with the wheelchair. By the way, there's going to be a shitload of spoilers, guys. Uh, who's the old man she finds at the wheelchair? Uh, he's making himself eggs yes. while he's in a Sister Knight's hideout. And uh, of course, we have uh, people who are making eggs and trying. You know, uh, you know, they're hatching eggs. They're not cultivating it. What do you fucking call it? What do you? They're selling eggs. Yeah. Okay. We have people. <laughs> we have people who are selling eggs in Oklahoma. Uh, you know, a couple of them break while the woman's walking up the stairs, and you know, this is kind of the imagery of uh, of you know, infertility. It turns out that this is a couple, I think, very purposefully named Clark, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, named after Clark Kent's parents. And we, we do, or, you know, in a, in a, in homage to Clark Kent, uh, who was raised by orphan, pa- you know, who was an orphan from Krypton raised by parents who couldn't conceive this, this couple can't conceive either of a very, um, intimidating and wealthy and, uh, seems genius, uh, Vietnamese woman comes to them and says, listen, I have a baby that I've cloned for you and I have $5 million. Take it within the next three minutes or, uh, or I walk. And yeah. just as they sign the paperwork, something crashes on their property, which we find out much later on 
what that is. But I, it, it's such a great idea. scene. It, it's so well done. It is. You know, she she says, "Well, if you don't sign, I'm going to kill the baby. Right? I'm going to destroy it." And they're just shocked. She's like, "I'm just kidding. I'll find a nice home for it." Um, you know, and she <laughs> says, "Like she's like, oh, I can give you a baby." And they're like, "They're like, oh, we don't believe you." She's like, "Oh, no, you don't understand. I'm not saying that I can make you a baby. I already did. Like she's always ahead. You know, you can tell she's." Just absolutely brilliant. Came in here, you know, uh, the cards are stacked in her favor. She, you know, she's just, here you go. You know, take it or leave it. And, uh, of course, they take it. Oh, well, yeah. It's practically an offer you couldn't, you couldn't refuse. That money and, and the legacy. And we do find out that, like, history and legacies and heritage, that those are some of the strongest, strongest themes of this entire series, is talking about, uh, you know, legacy and and what you inherit from from what came before you um you know namely did we mention in the last few episodes about angela's grandfather i think we did right in terms of who he is uh besides the fact that we know he's her grandfather i don't think we really went into it much because we didn't we didn't know yet well that was it that was it yeah but uh but yeah we do find out that will reeves the the man played by lewis gossett jr was a police officer yeah, at the base of the tree. Not only is he a grandfather, but yes, he was also a police officer. And this is interesting because both he and Angela never knew each other until these last couple of episodes, until like this this past week in their lives. And it turns out that they both went a similar path without even knowing it. Um, yep, very And similar. of course, you know, and, and we do find out that Will Reeves was, was motivated by this because of the man who he would watch in the... Uh, in the you know in the old silent films and you know we see this this like this uh sheriff's badge this star that is meant to be there for for like uh you know justice and you'll notice that as a kid will reeves had that star sewn onto his jacket lapel or the chest of his jacket yeah it's a nice touch and of course sister knight also wears that same one yeah right what do we find on the clan outfit the supposed clan outfit of Judd Crawford. We also see that uh, that badge, that same badge. So you know, it, it is interesting, and <laughs> they're legacy. all individuals, and yeah, they're all in, individuals with a legacy and their own sense of justice and inheriting it. We don't even know at this point if Judd Crawford actually was a white supremacist. I know that in this episode, actually, Sister Knight goes to Looking Glass and asks him, you know, like what the deal was. Like, did you know? Did did you know that he was part of the clan? Blah blah blah. And he just says he was a white man in Oklahoma. You know, like, yeah. that's all you can give him that. Like, even if he is an ally, there is still some white supremacy in there, some bias, some Eurocentric, uh, heroic view of yep. history that even if he wasn't actually a Klansman, even if it belonged to his grandfather or something, he is still complicit, you know, just by being a white man in Oklahoma. Um, and, oh, at the end of episode four, I had a theory that the comedian was who killed Angela's parents in Vietnam. Oh, I mean... <laughs> That's that would wouldn't have been too shocking to be honest, right? <laughs> I definitely could have seen that that happening. Um, we also yeah, find out that Lady True and Will are working together, right? That that's revealed at the end um, when Lori and and Angela go to meet Lady True, which is also a, a really fun scene. Yes, all very very strong female characters, and they're just they're just awesome. They're they're really really cool, you know. Lori and Angela are just. Hard as you know, hard as nails. They're just tough, and uh, and Lady True is just brilliant. You know, they're they're really great. Yeah, the show really did a great job of having strong female characters, which 
is kind of like a like a a weird term. Uh, it is, you know, but. But like, but it definitely passed the Bechdel test. You have you have women who are not subscribing to your to your average gender roles. They're carrying this series, and uh, you know I will say like I do have my own internalized misogyny. Like as a man in society, I'm more attracted to shows and and media where the men are the main characters. Yeah, same. Uh, but I yeah, but you know like you know with this I re- I really couldn't. You know, I, I I couldn't look away from it. Every every moment that that had uh, that had Angela or Lori Blake in it, you know, Lady True honestly frightens me. So yeah, know, she's terrifying. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of seeing her on screen just because she's uh, played so well. Um, and also, this show passes the Bechdel test. I'm not sure if it did it in the first few episodes, but it definitely does here. More than two women characters, they oh, they both have their own names and they both talk about something that's not a man or relationship. So yeah, I mean that's great. And I also think it's cool that you know Angela is she's a working mom, right? She's she's the one that's a police officer. It seems like Cal's a stay at home dad. Um, I, I like that. It, it really works for me. Uh, you know, it, it fits into their their character. You know, the characters or personalities. Um, you know, Angela's definitely not the stay-at-home type. She is a woman of action, right? She is always going to to do whatever she can do to make a difference. Yeah, that's a pretty solid representation of, of, of who she is as a character. And also their dynamic. You're right. It is it is like a modern idea of what a family is you know it, it is very uh very relatable in that in that way and you know it shows that she can still be like the mom and the wife and everything and still have her own life in this case her life is vigilantism but you know she she is able to quote unquote do both you know as i say get you a woman who can do both or something like yeah. that um you know and and it and it ju- it does show also that while her not being a stay at home mom it doesn't take away from her character at all and you know her and Cal have a really great partnership um but in episode 5 we're not really talking much about Angela and Cal we're talking mostly about Looking Glass uh, also known as Wade whatever his last name is <laughs> yeah and you know this could have been a really like fillery kind of episode you know like the walking dead does a lot of times where they'll focus on one of those side characters and it just doesn't really drive the plot forward or it just doesn't really grab you uh but it grabbed me i I loved it i thought his story was fantastic he's actually a very interesting character i know off mic you said he was like um eugene from the walking dead but better (laughs) and uh yes yes i did say that (laughs) right and i definitely see that he's you know, he's kind of just like down to the facts. He, he kind of talks a little strangely. Um, and we get to really learn like why he is the way he is in one of the best openings of any episode in the series. Yeah. And by the way, his name is Wade Tillman. That's my bad. Uh, played <laughs> expertly by Tim Blake Nelson as well. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, the you know, the interesting thing is that his whole origin episode, it starts off with uh, 11-2, which is basically the Watchmen universe is 9-11. 11-2, 1985, is when a giant squid monster uh, being puppeted by Adrian Veidt, Ozymandias, appeared in New York and administered a blast that wiped out 3 million people. 3 million people, by the way, is 1% of the population, um, which uh, a lot of people, I only know because, uh, you know, the whole... Yeah, yeah, there's so many people who are all like, oh, well, it has a 99% survival rate. And it's like, yeah, but that 1% is 3 million people, bro. It's kind of funny um, that, in, you know, in real life, a disease wipes out 1, 1% of the population, nobody bats an eye. But uh, if an alien does it, holy shit. 
<laughs> yeah, in the Watchmen universe, they did this, and it, and it, you know, made the way toward world peace. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it, probably it, a nuclear holocaust that was inevitably on the way. Yes, yes, it was. We talked about the doomsday clock and everything last episode, and they do a really good job in these next few episodes of taking the original. Uh, the Old Testament is what Lindelof called it when he was talking about the writer's room and everything. You know, taking Alan, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' original work, and they, they pepper that stuff in and they do it so well. So to see, uh, you know, oh, this is when it happened. To see, like, what was actually going on with civilians in 1985 when 11-2 happened, uh, it, it, it's, it was really cool. And we see that Wade was actually, uh, before he was looking glass, he was, you know, a missionary. He you know, he came from Oklahoma to to espouse the the word of um of God to a bunch of sinners in Hoboken, New Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. He suffers a humiliating sexual experience and also suffers a, a you know one of the psychic blasts from this alien squid, but he ends up surviving. He's one of the very few lucky ones in his area to to survive it. Yeah, and it was how cool was it just to see the actual squid? That was awesome. It I was, was great. Blown away that yeah. they went there, you know. It's such a great, because, you know. You see the psychic blast go off. He kind of wanders out into the. It's guys. It's like a carnival, right? So he wanders out of this like mirror house, and he just sees bodies everywhere. Even in the girl who humiliated him is you know is dead, um, and he's he's screaming like, "What happened?" And the, the camera just, you know, it, it comes out and, it, and you see, you know, all these bodies and then it moves into New York City and you see the squid and the tentacles and crash cars. It's just such a cool visual. It is. And I was surprised they could pull it off because it is television, you know, like you'd think they'd have to save their budget and everything. But they you saw Game you know, of Thrones, went, HBO. Yeah. Well, well, you know, we saw Game of Thrones seasons like what, like six through eight when the dragons were like a thing. But, Listen, you don't you know, do episode, Watchmen with a with a five dollar budget, all right? That is true. You and you know, nor nor should you. I I mean, however, they could have though. Like they could have, and they still could have made it good because of how good the writing was. But we find out that Wade, who ends up being Looking Glass uh, for the for the Tulsa PD, that that Wade has built his entire life around this trauma. He even, despite not getting out of not getting over this trauma hosts a, a support group for people who have experienced this trauma knowing that other dimensions exist and and we find out that wade is also you know he's been studying the squid falls that are that are coming from the sky from from who knows where to 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 keep them scared and everything or at least that's what i hypothesized last episode yeah, was, i mean he's you know here's a reminder he's paranoid right like he he wears a baseball cap with uh Lined with the same material as his reflectatine, you know, yeah, as as the mask that he wears, um, you know, he he can't be without it because you know he thinks it saved his life from for you know it would save his life from a psychic blast, and he's so afraid it's going to happen again. Is like you said, his entire life revolves around this. Um, and, and you know, I thought what was an interesting trait of his was you know when he goes to visit his ex wife to give her the pills from Angela to to examine. Um, he you know she makes a comment to him about. She spent seven years trying to convince him she wasn't going to leave him with his pants down, like that a woman wouldn't wouldn't do that to him again. So he obviously also had some very, very, uh, you know, some trauma, some sexual trauma there from what that, that woman did to him right before the psychic blast, where I don't think he can really trust a woman um, to not to not leave him, you know, I guess high and dry or, you know, and something along those those lines. So that was that was a little, you know, it's a little part, but I, I thought that does add to his character a lot, too. 
it was an awesome line because we do see Looking Glass as kind of a Rorschach. He's the new Rorschach, basically, yeah. right? And um, and and really quick, I, I just want to di- di- digress for a sec because. You know, so I started looking around on Instagram and finding, uh, you know, finding the Watchmen HBO uh, page and sharing stuff from there and then, you know, liking it and, and, you know, trying to get the podcast name out there, basically. And in the first episode posts, I saw a lot of people just bitching about the show and they were like, where is, um, you know, the man who is a god and, and drifts away further every day? Where is the vigilante who won't sac- who won't uh, compromise even in the face of Armageddon? Where's this? Where's that? And, you know, this is all bullshit, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, if you watch the show, you'll realize all the stuff you loved about Watchmen is in this show yeah you know it it's is. literally just people who don't like that it's talking about race i i think I so found. too i think they don't want to have to deal with that on a constant basis but you know those things are there like you know watchman is there but this is many years later and it, it it's showing you you know what is the fallout of that world right you know when when the watchman comic takes place they're at the end of of mass vigilantes you know like they're 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 winding down the you know they're being outlawed um, and, and this, you know, this alien attack that Adrian Veidt, uh, created happens, it's going to change the world. And we're seeing that world later, you know, and, and while we didn't end it in nuclear Holocaust, as we know, you know, humans inevitably turn on each other anyway. So, you know, I think that's what we're seeing here. And, and, you know, what better way to express that than through white supremacy through, um, you know, the, the seventh cavalry and, and things like that. So I, you know, I, I, I feel like they did a great job of capturing Watchmen while presenting in, in a modern setting that is similar enough to our world while also capturing what happened uh, in, in the history of that world. And even more so, I'm not going to spoil the next three episodes after the ones we're covering, but th- there's so many um, threads that more left when Watchmen was finished, the original comic book. You know, you, uh, um, Lori Blake, she wasn't done uh, being a vigilante anymore. She wanted to get a little more hardcore. Uh, we, you know, so she went off with Night Owl. And Dr. Manhattan said, you know what, I'm going to leave this world and go create life, uh, you know, somewhere else. And, yep. and uh, you know, we're wondering, you know, where Adrian Veidt went off to and stuff like that. What do you do after you save the world? Like, they left a lot of threads. And guess what? This series ties up 99% of them. It does. Okay, I'll tell you know, I'll tell you right now and you know, it may not be a spoiler maybe, but we don't find out what happens tonight owl unfortunately. Like that's actually something that if they ever did do another season, that's that's something I would want to see what happened to I would, night I owl. would love that. Yeah, kind of you know, where is he? You know, what what happened to him? There be some. There could be some great stuff there. Actually, they could show him and Lori and how they got to where they are now. Yeah, but if pe- like if people could just get over their their prejudices, their biases, the whole guess what the heroes you love might actually bring out you know your your biases in you. You know, I, I saw people that were pissed that the Rorschach clan, you know, the Seven K, that they were that they were racists, and I'm like, yeah, racists are the bad guys, and they're like, oh, only because the writer made them that way. Yes, that's how writing fucking works. Yeah, you like if it was anything else, you wouldn't way. complain, right? When when you watch Twenty Four and there's like a Muslim terrorist, do they go, "Oh, come on, really? Why, why is he a terrorist? <laughs> why are they doing that? Because the writers made him that way." Well, that that's you know that's because the writers did it. No, they don't complain then. But you make some white people the bad guy. Whoa! All right, we got an issue here. Like, come on, you know, like well, give, give me a break. Yeah, anybody can well, be the I mean, bad guy in any writing, right? Yes, and I mean white people play bad guys all the time. They are in real life in movies. 
Yeah, yes, that's true. White people are bad guys a lot. Uh, but like, even in our movies and comic books and everything, white people play the bad guys all the time. It's just the fact that they're racist. Yeah. Well, then the they should be Russians or they should be serial killers. They shouldn't be, you know, average Oklahomans, you know? I don't know what they call themselves. O- Oklahomians? I don't know. <laughs> no, I think o- Oklahoman. Oklahomian Rhapsody. No, Oklahoman <laughs> sounds right. I'll have, to, I'll have to ask Bronson about that one, too. I don't know. It's I'm just... actually going to have to bring up another text that he sent me. Ooh. But, um, um, but in the meantime, uh, yeah, so if you get past your own bullshit and realize that this is actually, it's a continuation of Watchmen, and it actually, it, it, t- it ties up some great threads, and then leaves some of its own that are that are brilliant as well. But uh, but yeah, bl- you know, uh, we find out that, that Wade's whole life is built on this trauma, uh, and that, you know, he, like, he even has an alarm system, which he's using to run drills. You're only supposed to run, it's like an interdimensional alarm. You're only supposed to uh, run those drills, I think, once every six weeks. But his is broken because he runs them several times a week. Yeah, you, know, you can see how scared he is, right? When he calls yeah. to get a replacement, they're like, like, no, God damn it. Like, this should be working. Like, you know, you need to send me a replacement overnight. Like, I cannot wait, you know. He's willing to pay whatever it costs to get another unit because he's so scared. Like, you know, I, I, you know, they. I never really thought about it after reading the comic, or, or even you know, in the first couple of episodes. But like, imagine surviving that experience, and you don't know that Adrian Veidt did it, right? As a reader, we know it, but if you're a person in that universe, you think an alien squid came and and wiped out all those people. Uh, it must be terrifying to have experienced that, to see its effects. So you know, I, I get it. You know, the trauma there is incredible. Um, and I think you know it's, it's it's really interesting that he tries to help other people with with his help group when he ne- when he very much needs help himself. Uh, but you know we also get to see his his full time job or you know supposed job when because people don't know he's a police officer and yeah, that's his day job. yeah his day job where he um he he's like a focus group uh, I don't know what would you call observer yeah. I guess right he- like. Yeah, so he can see the truth in anything, and I'm not sure if it's a superpower or if it's just who he is. Uh, but, but I think it he, might be uh, because of what happened to him when he was with that girl. Maybe he just. Do you think it's an like it's an ability that was bestowed upon him by the psychic attacks, or you think like I just think he just, knows people now. I think he studies people. Because it made of him. That. I like that, and that, you know that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he you know he he actually is capable of watching focus groups. And determining if they're being honest, like on paper, they might write that they loved a product, but it turns out they hated it and they just didn't want to say so. Yeah. And uh, and and he's able to find that he is he is able to to find the truth, and yet his entire life has been uh, guided by something he'll never really know the truth for until the very end of this episode. He wants you know he wants to know what why the squid came and and where these other little squids are coming from. You and know, everyone and, knows, um, right? I mean, that's yeah. Know. You know, and everyone has their own theories. You know, earlier on in a few episodes that, you know, everyone go, oh, it's the government doing it. It's it's Redford. Who, yeah. By the way, Redford was another thing that was another string that was left untied. From what I understand, uh, Lindelof mentioned that, you know, while in the movie they say Ronald Reagan, you know, and they say, oh, we'll never have a cowboy president or whatever. Apparently in the book, it's R.R. There's looks of R.R. running for president. Uh, well, in the... In the- in the show, they also bring up Ronald Reagan. There's like Reagantown or Reaganville or whatever that little town is with all the white supremacists. It's Nixonville. Oh, you're it's right. Nixon. You're right. It is Nixonville. Yeah. 
Yeah, they all love Nixon. So it turns out that it wasn't going going to be uh, like Lindelof was like, okay, Robert Redford. And what a great play on us actually having a cowboy president, which was Robert Ra- uh, uh, Ronald Reagan. Except, you know, in their world, he actually did the right thing uh, by marginalized communities. It was very much the opposite of uh, of, of what Reagan did. Um, but yeah, so uh, and can I read Bronson's uh, edition before we get to the big, the thing that's going to change the entire series? Oh, you're talking about the end of the episode? I, I did want to just really quick point yeah. out that yeah. first focus group that he does, it's a commercial for moving back to New York. Yes. Uh, where they're where they they're like, oh, you know, <laughs> I moved back here for the Italian food and the pizza. Or like, like I love it. The streets are so safe now. And like, there are all these like smiling people. Everyone's like, I'd move there. They're all like checking off. Yeah, we'd go there. And he's like, no, nah, it's bullshit. Nobody's moving back there. Fucking alien squid landed and killed you know three million people nobody's going back so i thought that was a that was a cool scene i, I really liked that touch <laughs> it, it was and i you know i loved uh also just seeing his you know his day job right like i said you know what he what he does as a, as a civilian because uh, they all have to have cover jobs mm-hmm. remember cops you cannot know who a cop is and you cannot know that somebody is. And he actually does it, unlike Angela, who has a bakery that's fake, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, right? she has a fakery. And he yeah. he also joined up with the police after uh, the night in which all the cops were attacked, which I thought was kind of interesting, too. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that fact. After right. the white night. Yep. Like, nobody wants to become a cop after the white night. <laughs> and then he does. He joins up. And, I, you know, part of me is like, is it because he can wear the mask? You know, the, the reflected, uh, reflected teen, I think it's called, right? Uh, yeah, that's he, perfect. It's reflected teen. He yeah. can wear it all the time. I don't know. You know, maybe he wants to just make a difference somehow. But yeah, I thought that was a cool treat as well. Yeah, I don't doubt it. We also see that, like, he asks for the reflected teen to be delivered with the new alarm system yep. as well. Um, let me uh, read this bit about uh, Tulsa real quick. So, so once again, our friend, black man in Oklahoma, he says, if I may add, Tulsa is still racially divided by the railroad tracks. Not even gentrification, just white side and black side. And the only part of Oklahoma I don't feel safe in is Guthrie and straight north up the middle of the state. Like if I stop for gas for more than five minutes, I'm looking around and over my shoulder. Wow. So. Wow. So, yeah. um, Oklahoma, still racist. And that's. uh, That's that's powerful, man. Uh, It is. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine like. You know, hearing someone that we know say that, you know, it's like. You can read about it in the news. You you can read it online, but when you actually know the person and they they tell you they feel that way, it's uh, it, it really hits home. You know what I mean? Even if you haven't, you know, us being white guys haven't experienced that, it's like, man, you don't you don't want someone you care about to feel that way. You don't want anyone to feel like that. Yeah. Um, you don't. So let's get. <laughs> I don't have a good segue. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So we learn more about 11-2 and that it was an inside job. We already know that Adrian Veidt made it happen, but, uh, you know, a woman in in, uh, the the recovery group ends up going for a drink with Wade, and he ends up uh, being led to them all on purpose. He doesn't have the superpower because he can't see through her. You know, that's why I think. That's true. You know, she fools him. Well, I thought that she was telling the truth. That's why. That she really said that mm. she really thought he was cute. I thought that's what he, what he banked on. Yeah, I mean, he, she definitely was telling truth to him. I think because he could tell through, like when she lied about her occupation, you know, like she was definitely using the truth to manipulate him. Um, but he couldn't on a supernatural level. He wouldn't be able to tell the truth, which is yeah. what I thought. Yeah, yeah. She he ends up following her and finding out that 
the videos from Seven Cavalry's uh, propaganda are actually made not in a church, but in a set that's in this warehouse. And he's led there on purpose where the 7K, they, you know, they kidnap him and they show him hours of proof that 11-2 was an inside job. There's a video that Adrian Veidt recorded for President Redford. And, and, uh, and you know, upon seeing this, he discovers that, that the entire, like, the, the one moment that defined his life... It happened, but it was orchestrated to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's traumatizing. You know, know, he thought it was aliens this whole time, and it was done to him by a man, a human man. Uh, And also, Senator Keene is here, right? He's in charge of the 7th Cavalry. You know, and uh, he has his mask on, and and Looking Glass says to him, Wade says to him, are you even going to try to disguise your voice, Senator? Like, he knows immediately. Oh, I have this stupid mask. It's not for you. It's for them. You know, Senator Keene tries to tell him, like, they're idiots, I had to step in to to get them in line to protect people. You know, he tries to sell it like he's doing this heroic thing by by not allowing them to just go off, you know, half cocked and, and killing people. He's like, you know, I have a bigger plan. You know, we're we're gonna, you know, we're gonna make the world safer. You know, trust me on this. Yeah, his whole uh, premise is like that he's playing, you know, both sides and trying to keep everybody safe and working for the greater good. But, you know, again, we just see we see a charismatic politician who is emboldening uh, white supremacy and, you know, continuing uh, to. To, you know, to, to play both sides, but but for his for his own gain. And of course, he gives Wade a lesser of two evils, uh, a scenario in which, uh, you know, they know who. Angela is and if Wade gives her up and gets her out of the way while she's you know while she's arrested then they'll let her and her family live if not they go and murder her whole family anyway so Wade is now like put uh you know there's a more morality question here does he let his you know one of his co-workers you know one of his fellow vigilantes fellow peace bringers uh peacekeepers does he let her and her family die or does he get her arrested in order to uh you know Keep keep her safe, and of course, by yeah, it's, it's a tough spot because, in a way, he, he's the only one she trusted with this information, right? Like she brought him the the pills. Nobody else knows about this, so you know, um, there's definitely like a I, I don't know if I call it a friendship, but there's definitely like a trust between her him and Angela, you know. And for him to betray her, that's that's bad, you know. It's really that's big on that's gonna weigh on him. But he also doesn't want her to die, right? He he doesn't want her family to suffer. So you know he's he's given this horrible choice by Pete Buttigieg, uh, because this guy reminds me a lot of him. Honestly, <laughs> the way good the way he talks, he right? He seems like the all American, you know, like like kind guy. <laughs> That's all I could think of he when really I saw him. Really does. Wow. I was yeah. like, oh boy, little rat fuck. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, and uh, so this also takes Seven K, and they're not just the KKK anymore. They're also QAnon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because because now they you know they believe in this conspiracy theory. The only difference is they have proof. Like yeah, there actually was a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, that there actually was a conspiracy, and you know that the world peace is based upon a lie. And um, you know the 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 interesting part here though is that they don't like the fact that the president who is supposedly taking away their rights was put in place by like a sham. You know, the election was rigged, not rigged as in votes, but as in Adrian Veidt predicted everything would go the way it did. Like he orchestrated everything years in advance because he is the world's smartest man. Um, But yeah, so, so we have like, you know, some conspiracy stuff in there, some white supremacy stuff. Um, You know, we, 
Wade ends up uh, selling Angela out to uh, the new, like, interim chief of police, like the new peop- uh, person running those operations, and it's uh, Lori Blake from the FBI. Yep. So, you know, so they're trying to figure out what the deal is with these pills and everything. Turns out the, the pills are called nostalgia, and that they were, uh, they're now outlawed, but they were originally memories that were harvested into capsule form that you could, that you could uh, take in order to kind of, like, relive your life and relearn from things and make yourself a better person. Well, it's supposed to battle um, dementia, I think they also mentioned. Like people, that's right, that's you know, right, that's right. It's a, right. It's a yeah. great way to, to try to keep remembering who you are. But unfortunately, um, you know, it wasn't always successful, so they, they did outlaw it. Yeah, and whereas these pills belong to Angela's grandfather, who we find out, we did, we did mention that he was the little boy, right? That he was the little boy who, uh, who escaped Tulsa. I don't know if we did, but yeah, definitely. uh, Oh, we we should mention that. (laughs) Yeah, Angela, I'm not sure. It must be the episode before this because she goes to the Heritage Center. Yes, yes, she does. Yes, she goes to the Heritage. How the fuck did we skip that in episode three? We were on (laughs) a we we were rushing on the last one. Um, But uh, but yeah, he uh, she goes to the Heritage Center and finds out that her grandfather Will Reeves was the little boy at the beginning of the series who managed to escape and. That right there, I didn't realize at the beginning, that's also a Superman allegory. Oh, interesting. The whole thing, yeah. I, I didn't realize that until it was brought up in that interview with Lindelof. And I'm like, man, I'm a bad comic book fan. Of course <laughs> it was. It's exactly what it was. Right. And um, so, so yeah, so Angela ends up down, before they can confiscate the pills from her, she downs all of them. And that leads us into episode six. I'll talk about the ending of five, but it is going to lead into episode six where Angela is now overdosing on nostalgia pills and reliving her grandfather's entire life. Yeah. You know, seeing everything from his point of view, living his memories. Uh, but at the end of episode five, you know, Wade, uh, he ends up throwing out uh, the brand new alarm system that was given to him, you know, probably because like he realizes that there is no other dimension. This was, you know, a complete hoax and everything. Um, and it kind of made me wonder, Ty, I don't know if it made you wonder too, but like, was he going to join the seventh cavalry or something like not as a racist, but yes, as no, somebody, I, I definitely, that's where yeah. I thought it was going. I was like, well, I mean, like now that he knows they're trying to expose this conspiracy, you know, his whole life's been shaped by it. It makes sense for him to join them. You know, I don't think he wants to kill the police or, or the people he's been working with, but he wants to expose this truth. Um, but I like that he walks back and he takes the alarm back out of the garbage because he still has that doubt. Right, and he he brings yeah. it back into the house because just in case it does happen again, just in case that's not true, you know, uh, there there's still that chance it could happen. Um, we also didn't mention that they were using, uh, they were trying to open a portal again, the Seventh Cavalry. Oh yeah, we find out that that yeah that they've been using portal technology, and we don't know what for yet, but yeah that they, that it's illegal, and they've been using technology to open another portal. Which um you know obviously Wade's not a fan of yeah is that, that's what caused it yep. in the first place but uh, yeah, yeah here at the um, end you know after he walks back into the house with the alarm system we see a, a van pull up and uh, several Seventh Cavalry members come out armed to the teeth and it looks like they're gonna storm in and most likely kill Wade they 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 used him for what they needed they got Angela out of the way uh, and now they're gonna take him out because they don't really want him on their side you know he's probably a liability. Because he doesn't align with all their their values, right? And he's he's a very smart person, so they probably don't want him to to be there all the time. Uh, and we see that Keen was using him, right? It, that's what what politicians do. And mm-hmm. and Keen yep. has has used him, gotten what he wanted, and now he's going to take him off the board. Yeah, and we don't see him for the next uh, the next few episodes. We don't really know what 
happens to him after that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for, for him, for me at least, grabbing the alarm back was also him stating that he is still the same person. Yeah. Um, not necessarily the same, like, broken person, but, you know, still, like, that he won't abandon his values just because, like, listen, like, you know, things are the way they are now, and, you know, even though he knows why they are that way, you know, he's still got to live in this world, you know, he still knows certain things are right, certain things are wrong, who the good guys are, the bad guys are, and, you know, he'll still move forward from there. That's kind of, yeah. that's kind of how I saw And it. I, I really, you know, at, at this point in the episode, uh, even on the first watch, I did think legitimately he did turn Angela over to help her. You know, he says to her, like, I had no choice. Oh, yeah. He you know, he didn't do it yeah. to help the 7th Cavalry so much as, like, he doesn't want her to be killed. So I think that, you know, he intentionally did that to help her. Yeah, so speaking of Angela, episode 6 starts off. Now, episode 6 is... um. A wild uh, ride. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's one of the best episodes of this of the series. It's definitely, if not the best, maybe second best. But, um, but yeah, it turns out that she's living her fuck. She's living her her grandfather's life, Will Reeves, and so you know she gets to relive the whole like you know uh, her you know father coming back from World War One, you know, as a black man, and uh, you know fighting for a country that hates him, and then having to get his son out of Black Wall Street, you know, where you know things are exploding, and and like literally his parents explode right after. I didn't, I don't know how I didn't make the connection that this is a Superman story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, then again, the Superman story is a Moses story. So whatever. Right. It's not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, not only was he one of the few survivors of this massacre. But he ends up being the first. Sh- wait, wait, should I should I go? Should I say it or should I talk about how he becomes a cop first? No, it's OK. Let's just say it. He, I don't want to bury the lead. He's the first mass superhero. He's, he's the, the first, first vigilante. vigilante. <laughs> yes, he becomes Hooded Justice. Which is interesting because uh, Hooded Justice is always portrayed as a white man. We never truly see his face. He's the only vigilante who refused to ever take off his mask, they say. Um, but his eyes look, you know, around it, the skin is white. So it, it, it's definitely uh, a pretty pretty shocking reveal, but it's done very, very well. Um, and it definitely makes sense the way they explain it. You know, whether Alan Moore ever meant that, I don't know. Um, you know, but, but I don't think it, it takes anything away from the original work or from the character. Yeah. And speaking of Alan Moore in the original Watchmen book, uh, there were, uh, theories hypothesized that hooded justice actually did have a relationship with captain Metropolis. Yeah. Uh, cause I saw a lot of people were also upset online that, you know, it, like we see, um, in the American hero story that's, that's on TV throughout this series that hooded justice ends up having a sordid relationship, a gay relationship with captain Metropolis. And that actually comes from the original book. It was, it was alluded to. Yep. And, uh, they even gave a little bit of it in the movie, which isn't the exact same canon. But if you look in the beginning montage, uh, where Bob Dylan's playing, where they do like a whole like um, Last Supper homage while uh, Sally Jupiter is pregnant. Over on the one side of the table is Captain Metropolis talking to Hooded Justice, and the two of them are like very close to each other. So, you know, I did think that was interesting. It might not have been on purpose. You know, Zach Zach Snyder, he's you know he's obviously a solid filmmaker, but he is also a bro. Maybe he missed it. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, so so it turns out that her grandfather Will Reeves went on to join the police department and his badge was actually put on by Samuel Battle who in real life is America's first black police officer. 
That's pretty cool. Which I didn't know until this morning. So <laughs> I'm very glad I, I went into that. Uh, you know, but a big, but a, you know, I want to I want to let you tell the the rest of the story actually. But before that, I just want to talk about one of the themes that uh, I'm not sure if it's a theme of the. Oh, it is a theme of this episode actually. I remember that uh, Lindelof mentioned it. I wasn't sure if it was just me. You know how I read into shit, but um. <laughs> But, you know, this episode and this whole series now is really about not just legacy, but also generational trauma, which is a real thing. Yes. You inherit the trauma of those before you. Check the show notes and sources. We'll have it in there. Uh, there's some really great academics speaking on it and speaking on, um, you know, how like even if you're a black person, you still have a Eurocentric view of history and viewing white people as the heroes and uh, how – you know, like how back in, you know, back during slavery, if somebody uh, came to your son and said like, oh, you know, like he's doing great, he's working really hard, you would talk shit about your son and say, no, he's not that great, he's giving me trouble, blah, blah, blah. So that way he wasn't sold. So your son wouldn't be sold. And how that has carried itself into today, how you see that white parents are so proud of their children and that, you know, there are there are black parents who might be like, oh, you know, they'll only talk about the bad things about their kids, even if they are very, very academic. Uh, you know, I'm not saying this from personal experience. I'm saying this based on the video that, you know, that's in the in the show notes. But like, it, you know, I never thought about it before. But but yeah, like, you know, we do inherit. And if not just talking about the racist part of it, you know, talk about, you know, like the shit I took from my father that I still have today because the way he grew up. And the yep. stuff you probably have from your parents through today because the way they grew up. Exactly. You know, that's what this whole this whole episode is. And, you know, uh, you know, they have a great nod to Amos and Andy, too. Um, you know, Amos and Andy, of course, was a minstrel show. Uh, you know, minstrel shows are about, uh, you know, black people, uh, be, you know, car- caricatures of black people, uh, you know, made to subvert them and continue uh continue spreading stereotypes about them uh but yeah so we we find out that that her grandfather will reeves became uh, a black cop in well he became a black he's been black uh that he became a cop in new york city and what how does he find out about cyclops so yeah so he moves in new york city because he needs a fresh start from oklahoma right after after the horrible uh experience he had in tulsa so, you know, him and, and his wife move there. Um, he becomes a police officer. You know, he wants to make a difference. He's He's been inspired to, to you know, stop stop this evil and, and, and help the world. So his he, hero was a cop as a kid. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he makes his, uh, his first arrest. There's this um, very openly racist, uh, you know, angry white male who he sees, uh, I think he, what, what he, he like throws a, a, like a... Yeah, I think he throws a Molotov, a Molotov cocktail in a, in a, a Jewish, Jewish uh, business. Yep, like a Jewish deli or something. And, yeah, and, a Jewish deli. And, you know, he obviously sees this, uh, Will, and, and, and he stops the man. And the man's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, don't worry about it. So he, he arrests him. And he takes him into, to, you know, police headquarters. Um, and they're like, oh, well, great job. We'll take him from there. And they make like a symbol, right, with their hands. Uh, yeah. and, and then at the point they take him away and Will's a little confused. He's like, uh, okay, you know, but he figures whatever, you know, I'm the new guy. They're going to book him. Um, I did my job. And at first it seems like his fellow cops are his allies too, yep. right? They're like, like, great job, you know, rookie, like you did great. You know, they're all seem to yeah. be like patting him on the back almost like, all right, we'll and take they won't let here. his collar, uh, talk shit to him either. Yep. Yeah. They, they show him some respect. They say, right. Yeah. It's like. You know, it, and it seems like, all right, like this is this is going well. This is great. You know, this is what he was looking for. You know, not only do they take his his collar away from him and make that weird sign on their forehead, but uh, it turns out things are much more nefarious. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like you said, Cyclops, there's, you know, 
Um, I, I guess they're like a white supremacist group too, or you know, uh, you know. Yeah, they're definitely clan members, but I guess similar to how like Hydra was the like science offshoot of the Nazis and mm. in, in like Marvel Comics, how like Cyclops, while they're clan members and white supremacists, they have their own like nefarious scientific deeds. Uh, and they try to keep Will Rees off their off their tracks, but you know it backfires on them. Yeah, because you know Will proves quickly that he's not going to just step to the side and, and let these things happen. Um, you know, so he actually you know winds up finding out that this man has been released from from prison like that same day, right? And uh, you know he he storms back into police headquarters and he he goes to the guy at the desk and he's like demanding what happened. And the guy at the desk just, you know, kind of like whispers to him, like, you know, keep your voice down. I'm trying to protect you here. Just let it go, you know. And he, and Will's the questioning about about the hand symbol he saw. And this guy, you know, it seems that the guy at the desk may not be involved with Cyclops, but he knows of it. He knows enough to to kind of just, you know, look the other way, right? And he's kind of telling Will to do the same thing. He's like, listen, if you know what's good for you, you just forget it and move on. Um, and you know, and Will can't. He just can't let that go. And he winds up being uh, assaulted by his fellow police officers shortly later, right? He he uh, he, he. They wind oh, up. Yeah. They wind up telling, him, "Come for a drink with us." He's like, "No, nah, I'm good." He's walking home. Uh, yeah, he have, knows. He's yeah. like, "No, nah, I'm good, guys. I don't want anything to do with you." I mean, he's seen Tulsa. He knows what's he knows what's up. So you know, they wind up. It looks like they take off. He goes down an alley, and sure enough, they pull up in front of him, and they beat the living hell out of him. Um, and then they actually hang him from a tree, but they don't actually kill him, right? They just, they kind of like uh, string him up by the noose. Um, they tell him that if he doesn't, you know, back off that, you know, they're going to kill him. They're going to kill his family, right? They're, they're basically threatening him. And then they, they, you know, they let him live, but they definitely make their, their message, uh, you know, sent across to him and, and so he won't forget it. You know, through this, you know, they like he ends up keeping the ropes that were tied around his hands. He ends up keeping the noose that was around his neck and the hood that they put over his head as well. And he's just kind of like, you know, on his way home with these things, trying to reconcile with what just happened. Like he became one of the good guys, but the good guys are also bad guys. And like he does have like this anger in him and he sees like some guys trying to assault a, a couple and he puts the hood on and lets that anger out. And finally, we do see that while this um, hooded justice, uh, you know, while this uh, this hooded justice like documentary series may be a little inaccurate, it kind of is accurate. He was a very brutal hand to hand combatant. Like he wouldn't, yeah. you know, he wouldn't let criminals uh, get away with shit. He was angry, you know, and, and yeah, he was taking that anger out on on people that may have deserved it you know uh and I, I love the idea that you know he adopts this 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 noose as part of his outfit you know and, and he wears it around his neck um and it makes so much sense right you know black people were known for being lynched for being hanged and uh he takes that and he turns it into a vigilante symbol that he's known for you know he winds up inspiring generations of costumed heroes later on uh, and, and it's really powerful stuff, you know, th to see that, um, you know, and his wife is actually very supportive of him doing this. She's the one, I believe, that comes up with the idea to paint his eyes white to, uh, you know, around or the skin around it so that they don't know it's a black, a black man doing it. And it'll be more supportive, maybe. Um, and it'll help hide his identity. So, you know, she convinces him to do this. And I, I thought this was really cool because we see Angela paints her eyes black when she becomes Sister Knight. You know, it's uh, oh. right. Like it's a, it's a. 
That's great. Very like similar, but yeah, the juxtaposition of it. So you know, in the in the, in the present day, she, she you know she's openly embracing you know I'm black and you know here we go. And back then he had to hide it and pretend that he was white. Um, and you know, very powerful stuff. And and you know he winds up taking the fight to to Cyclops and he. Uh, he attacks, you know, a group of them. Um, I think they're, I guess, they're behind the butcher shop that the original man he he uh, arrested owns, right? So like he kind of like fights yeah. his way through there, like brutally dispatches. Well, I think he guys. took over that shop. I think it was the Jewish deli. And oh, I think he took right, it right. Over after it burned sense. down, this motherfucker. Yep, yep. So yeah, he burned it down, took it over, and then yeah, this is where uh, you know the scene that they reenacted very differently in the in like the you know the fake docu series. It, you know, we see what actually happened, that it wasn't just Hooded Justice fighting bad guys. It was Hooded Justice beating down racists. Yep. You know, like we, we do see that a lot, like this whole whitewashing of history and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, like, you know, you know, even then we fought the Nazis fighting and killing racists. Yeah, like exactly. You know, and I think that's why people are so why they might have been caught off guard by, you know, the people taking the Rorschach mask. And being like, oh well, you know, they're not, you know, they're not actually racist. They're just extreme, blah blah. No, they're racist. Like, you know, we see that all of our politicians use those words. We see evil and hate and blah blah blah. Call it racism. Call it racism. You know, even now we see the shits. And please don't let this fucking get normalized. The term officer involved shooting or police involved shooting. Call it what it is. The police killed a man or the police murdered a man yes. or, or woman or or whatever it is. Because guess what? Like, if you legitimately killed someone in the line of duty and there was no other way, let the investigation go through and you'll be fine. Okay? If somebody pulls a gun on you and you shoot them, okay, you know, in order to save your life and whatever, then then fine. But guess what? If it's somebody that didn't, you know, George Floyd, murder. That was a murder. Yeah. Well, what do they always say? You if, you, if you did nothing wrong, you have nothing to be worried about, right? So. That's what they say. Yeah, so it works both ways. And, um... You know, uh, let me throw in Yellowstone real quick. One of the characters I mentioned in Yellowstone, he's a veteran. And, like, you know, something happens in the show where they're like, oh, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you take care of that guy or whatever? And he says, listen, I've killed more people than, than any other man I know, but I've never murdered one. Oh, I love that. That's great and, line. Yeah, and that was, that was a beautiful line. It's a really good show. When you get into it, you'll be, it's going to be what you and I do. Like, I got into Supernatural, like, seven years after you left. <laughs> Yes, uh, true. it's gonna be the same thing. Like ten years from now, you're gonna be like, "Dude, Yellowstone's so good," and I'm like, "I know, right?" Um, <laughs> about time. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I also want to talk a bit about how um, you know, like a lot of a lot of this stuff is based in real life. That you know, that uh, even if you are a police officer, if you're black, you're still getting discriminated against. And um, and I also want to talk about there's this uh this one podcast I listen to called uh, Shrink Tank, uh, only for their Watchmen review. I didn't discover them before them. Uh, before this, but I wanted to see what other people's takes on this were. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and they, they talked, they related it to Nolan's Batman, you know, and Batman Begins, Alfred says, why bats? And he goes, um, he goes, because bats frighten me. It's time my enemies shared my dread. Yes. And so now we see Hood of Justice, instead of being in a white hood, he's in a black hood. And so now criminals and racists, like he doesn't go after racists specifically, but they just also happen to be criminals. But like criminals now know <laughs> That they have to fear the noose and the hood. Yeah, now they're feeling great. the same fear that black black people feel every day, and it was it was so so well done. And um and actually because you talked about his wife June, can I just talk about how uh, I think when he was becoming a cop, she told him that he was joining the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. I think she feels that him being a vigilante is the better way to to make a difference. You know, the police are the bad guys, so why don't you? You know, take the fight to all of them. 
you know, do, go outside the box and, and really bring justice. And and his wife, you know, we do find out was the baby um, from from Tulsa that he had that he had saved, which is you know a little weird <laughs> in some ways. But yeah, but I, he was only like seven years old. Yeah, or, yeah. I guess it's just you know they, that they is were so weird. close. I, I, I missed that part. Damn it! I don't I don't know how I missed that. But thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah. She was that baby. So they they you know while she may have been too young to remember, they do have that similar experience. They're both survivors from Tulsa. Their parents were both killed there. Um, it, you know, very well. They may have been the only people they had for each other, you know, and they, they grew very close and now they're, they're married and, you know, he shares his secrets with her. Um, and we, you know, we'll later learn not all of his secrets, but we think most of them, she knows that he's a vigilante and helps him with this journey. Yeah. And much like, uh, you know, blues and, uh, and rock and roll and, uh, you know, hip hop and a bunch of other uh, great uh, black art forms, it inspires others to appropriate it and make it their own. Yep. So he is the first superhero. And then this spawns a whole bunch of other superheroes, one of which being Captain Metropolis, who turns out the bio series did get this right, yeah. uh, did end up having a relationship with with Hooded Justice, with Will Reeves, who, by the way, took his name from Bass Reeves, the black marshal of Oklahoma, who was the guy in all the silent movies. Yeah. Who, once again, he wore like a cloak and something hood-like, and then Hooded Justice wears a hood, and then, of course, Sister Knight also wears a hood. And this, these are, you know, like she wasn't aware of any of this and still ended up inheriting this legacy and following that way. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so, it's you cool. know, so great. Um. But yeah, so uh, and we do see that when he is with the Minutemen, that he's talking about like, hey, let's solve racism, and none of them know he's black except for Captain Metropolis, who you know is fine with uh, having sex with a black man, but doesn't want anybody to know that he's fighting crime alongside. Yeah, well, a black he says, man. you know, it's a shame the others can't know about you. They're not as you know, they aren't as tolerant as I am. He says, he uses the word tolerant, which I thought was like, yeah, wow, not just accepting, but. Yeah, you know, he's like, they'll never see how beautiful you are. You know, it's like, it's it's definitely, it's an interesting perspective. You know, it's one of those things where I think maybe Captain Metropolis doesn't realize he's racist. You know, like he 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 yeah. obviously he cares about him, but he's maybe embarrassed to be seen with the black man. You know, he doesn't want others to know. Um, you know, that's and that's that's a tough spot. You know, Will is truly on his own. He, he can only give a piece of him to each of these people, but he can't, exp- you know, when he's a Captain Metropolis, he can, he can you know, be with, with someone that he loves, you know, he can be gay, but he can't, he can't openly be a black man with him. Uh, and then the same thing with his wife, you know, he can be he, a black man with her, but he, he can't truly, you know, live his truth either because, you know, he, he is in love with a man. So it's, it's a tough spot to be in and he starts pulling away from people. Um, and it, it does, it, it, it hurts his relationships. It hurts his relationship with his wife and his son. Um, you know, and, and it's sad to see how, you know, he became such a loner and, you know, we start to see how and why Angela didn't know about him. Yeah. But real, uh, real quick before that, you know, we, I think it also plays back to this idea of like the whole, I can't be racist. I have a black blank. You know, I have a black friend, I have a black boyfriend, I have a black girlfriend, I have a black husband, I can't be racist, I have a black cousin or whatever it is. Um, And, you know, it's the idea that those people who still who believe they are your allies, you know, think of the Judd Crawford, who is a real sweetheart, ended up actually being part of 7K, you know, but the people who we think are our allies, you know, they they still have white supremacy within their within their 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 
bones and all of their beliefs. I have it. You have it. Anyone who is raised in America, no matter what color you are, you have that. And it may not be as blatant, but it's still there. You know, you may not outright say like, oh, I don't like black people, but you might be like, um, you know, I'm for redlining or something like that. Or I'm for like, vote, you know, voter ID laws or or I'm for the prison industrial complex. You know, I want to be hard on crime. So like so right there, you may not realize it, but you are you are espousing white supremacist ideals. Yes, exactly. And um, nope. yeah. And even when Hooded Justice, Hooded Justice is talking to the media saying like, you know, I found these like, you know, these Klan members, blah, blah, blah. Like before he can even say it, Captain Metropolis cuts him off and goes, ah, yes, Moloch. And he's, he's you know, it's going to be rough, like, you know, fighting Moloch. And like all these people are there fighting crime with them, but they're not fighting the true crime, the crime that is that has survived all the way to this day, which is white supremacy. And like you said, it does really drive uh, Hooded Justice to, you know, to lose his shit. Like he stops beating up white supremacists. And when he discovers what clan, these clan members, uh, part of Cyclops, are really up to, he fucking marks them. He's shooting them in the head. Yeah. Well, that guy he originally arrested, he wasn't able to stop him two times before. So when he finally sees him again, he just shoots him in the head. He kills him. You know, he's he's done... He's done dancing around. He's done, you know, uh, seeing this man on the street ruining people's lives. And then, like you said, he goes into this, this like, warehouse and he just brutally dispatches everyone in there. And while he's in this warehouse, he finds out Cyclops' true plot, which is to use uh, strobe lighting and other forms of subliminal uh, messaging and programming to make black people behave erratically, make them behave like the savages people believe them to be. And it can be done through, let's say, movies. Because I believe, oh yes, that's right. He stumbles upon this movie theater where there was this huge fight, and the cops had to break it up, and black people were at the center center of it, and they send him in, and they're like, all right, they need one of their own in there or whatever, and that's how he ends up finding out that, um, that, you know, obviously this is a, you know, th- this is a play on stuff that happens in real life, but he's uh, saying that like, you know basically white people are programming black people to behave in such a way that justifies their treatment of the black community. Yeah. I think I put that pretty well. Yeah, yeah I, I so. agree. So, yeah, you know, he finds, he finds his warehouse where, you know, um, I believe there's a man on like on a radio, like sending messages and things and, and he kills them all. You know, he kills everyone in here uh, to, to try to put a stop to this because he's seen firsthand, you know, the carnage that they created in that movie theater. Um, and he, he sees, you know, black people suffering and no one wants to stop him, including the Minutemen. You know, they want to they want to glorify it by fighting others, you know, vi- you know, vigil, uh, you know, supervillains and, and masked villains and things like that. But they don't actually want to stop, you know, racism, which has been inherent for for so, so long. It's, uh, you know, it's a it, it's a horrible spot for him to be in, especially being the first vigilante and, you know, and, and having lost. You know, he kind of lost his way for a little bit and seeing, you know, people taking on the role and not not supporting his ideals. So it's, you know, it's 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 hard. And, and you know, he, he goes home after this. Right. And he he sees his son uh, trying to dress up like him. And he's like, look, you know, dad, I'm, I'm like you. And he just loses it. You know, he doesn't he doesn't want that. He doesn't want to see his son have to take up being a vigilante like him. Um, you know, and his his wife is she's had enough at this point. You know, she tells him that it's time for, you know, her and the son to move back to Oklahoma. They're, they're not going to be a party to this, uh, to this, this charade anymore. You know, he's, he doesn't want to be with them, so they're not going to be with him. Yeah, and I just want to, um, 
bring up this really poignant point that I uh, that I noticed. So Angela drank these pills and is reliving her entire uh, her grandfather's entire life. There's a scene where the two of them are in bed post coitus. I think she remembers fucking her grandma now. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. the most traumatizing part of all of this. Oh, God, yeah. Is that she she now remembers fucking her own grandmother. Um, wow. And also Captain Metropolis, I guess. Yeah. Wow, yeah. what a... Now, that's legacy. <laughs> well, you know, like, this episode's really, really cool, too, from, you know, a filmmaking standpoint. Oh. It's in black and white. Um, and we see a lot of times through this scene, it'll shift between Will and Angela. So, you know, it'll be Will... Um, maybe we'll, the camera will move behind his back and then when it comes back up to his face, it's Angela or, you know, when it's talking to someone and it constantly goes back and forth to remind you, yes, this is Will's story, but Angela's here. She's present. She's living it. And the whole time her husband, Cal, is trying to get her back. He's he's reading things to her. He's begging her to to remember who she is. You know, Lori Blake's talking to her and, you know, Lori being, uh, <laughs> Lori, she's, you know, she's like, oh, it's really fucked up, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, this, this is crazy. Like, you know, you got to give me permission to pump your stomach here, you know, things like that. And it's, and you know, we go back to the present for just a few seconds and then it's back into the, to Will's story. Um, and this does eventually lead to the hanging of, of, uh, of Judd. And we, we find out that, um, Will used that same strobing effect that Cyclops used to control him. Um, and you know, he, he has him walk, you know, push him over to the tree, pushes the wheelchair. And, you know, and he says to him, he's like, you, he, so we find out he knew there was a there was a Klansman robe in the closet, right? He says you had one in your closet. Uh-huh. He's like, well, that's my grandfather's legacy. And he's like, well, you know, if you're so proud of it, why are you hiding it? You know, and, and, and Judd doesn't really yeah. have a response to that because he's probably torn too. You know, I maybe part of him really does like Angela. Maybe he doesn't openly believe he's a racist, but at the same time, he he has this this Klansman robe that he can't dispose of. Um, and we see that Will tells him to hang himself, and that's that's how he did it. You know, we we didn't know did he have psychic powers? Was he really super strong? No, he he used that same strobing effect that you know he stopped Cyclops from using, um, and he had Judd kill himself. And there's a lot to to unpack there too, right? Like, do you have to become as bad as the monsters you fight in order to beat them? Yep. Um, you know, we uh, did Judd like I don't think you and I want to believe that Judd really was a bad guy a hundred percent through because it's like, hard. You know, it is, and um, they make him likable. You know, you see how good he was with Angela and her kids. But yeah, like we don't want to believe that because, like, you know, because he does seem to be an ally, and he does seem to be hard on crime, and you know, um, I think we end up finding out. You know, we already know that he's definitely a member of of Seven K, and um, you know, we end up finding that like he was kind of like put into that position as you know as the as the chief so they put you know they put one of their own in the in the police department which also happens in real life and you know went from there but i do wonder like if in getting to know cal and angela and their family and everything i wonder if like his his ideas of how he felt about white supremacy did soften up and if maybe he just thought like well, I'm doing this because I want to get Redford out of office and I want to expose the conspiracy. Well, maybe he thought he was keeping them safe. You know what I mean? Like like the way um, 
uh, the senator kind of puts it like, oh, like they were just running wild beforehand. Like now I'm I'm protecting people. You know, maybe Judd thinks this is the best way to keep people safe. You know, so there's no more white knight. There's, you know, he keeps a balance between the police force and the Seventh Cavalry, and and no one else has to die for it. You know, maybe deep down that's what he believes. We don't know. You know, we don't know this, um, and and it's hard for Angela because she's reliving this, this you know, hanging from Will's perspective. You know, a man that she thought of as a close friend and and an uncle to her kids, and you know, someone she really respected that she's learned all these secrets about. And now she's watching him die, and. Uh, you know, I can. And all, she's doing it, and she's doing it. I, I can only imagine how how that must feel. You know, it's got to be very difficult for her. And yeah, I guess she also has to confront how, like, not only does she remember murdering her best friend, but she remembers her father fighting against all these white supremacists and stuff like that, and um, or her grandfather. grandfather excuse me, yeah. she remembers her grandfather fighting against all these white supremacists and stuff, and like, she's got to be wondering, like, you know. Was I destined to become Sister Knight from the beginning? Did I ever have a choice? Yeah. You know, I, are you... He he couldn't make the police work. She couldn't make the police work. You know, one of having to go to the vigilante. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's it was almost like her destiny. Yeah, folks, sometimes you... You can call for justice, and sometimes you need to make it happen. Yeah. And as, you know, I mentioned earlier, she is someone who makes things happen. She does not sit idly by... She never has, you know, when all those people, you know, quit after the white night, she went into it even, even harder, even stronger. And and that's with having, you know, her partner's her former partner's kids and, and things, you know, she just, she, you know, we'll, we'll later learn more about her past, but, you know, she's definitely someone who, who needs to, to, who act at all times. Yeah. And even, you know, the assassination of Joe Keen. Right. Yeah. She, uh, you know, she was the only person to act and and save everybody from that bomb. So, uh, but yeah, I think that's a really great point to leave uh, to leave off on it. Well, you know, once again, uh, please make sure to if if you're not visiting the show notes directly, do your own research. Please learn about generational trauma. Yes. Learn about redlining. Learn about all this, the ways that racism has been uh, systemically. Uh, been a part of our country and and part of our you know it's an insta it's an institution that's just evolved it may not be exactly mm-hmm. what it was but it has evolved you know learn about the case of reparations read some tanasi coats and um you know looking as amazing as this show is learning how the show is made and the mentality behind it is uh is you know is is just as entertaining in my yes opinion. There, and there's so much to learn you know we're still learning uh hopefully you know listeners are still learning and that's we're supposed to learn from history, right? So let's actually do that. Let's actually learn from it. Let's not just put statues up of uh, Confederates. Let's let's actually learn history and you know what people have suffered and gone through, um, and so we can be better and do better. Uh, and, and just on a story part, just to, to leave off on, we do find that uh, Lady True, um, I guess has oh yeah has you know saved Angela, right? She's kind of like. Uh, Helped her. Oh yeah, yeah. Angela's at Lady True's compound. Yeah, right that's now. where where the episode leaves off. You know, she wakes up and Lady True's there, very creepily. <laughs> and, uh, um, <laughs> you know, they, they that's where she wound up in order to survive this experience, which may or you know could have either driven her crazy or killed her. But you know, Angela does wake up in in the present day, and uh, you know, it seems like she at least is is just about done reliving the memories. Yeah, and you know, as as they left us on that cliffhanger, although. 
you know, I got to binge it, so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave you on that one. All right. Please make sure that you're tuning into HBO's Watchmen. If you haven't read the original comic book, that's also great. Read that. If you don't want to read that, watch the movie and just replace the thing that happens at the end with the giant alien squid. Roughly the same ship. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, you know, and uh, you know what? I was thinking real quick about Rorschach, about how that kid was like, where, you know, where's Rorschach? You know, don't compromise in the face of Armageddon. And I remember he said that in the in the uh, in the original, you know, in the comic book and in the movie as well. You know, it kind of made me think of where we are with uh, with the election as well. You know, that we can compromise. Or. We cannot. Yep. You know, with, you know, many people believe Armageddon is what we're facing. So, you know, that's that's uh, that that's up to you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Politipop podcast. We've really enjoyed doing this. Uh, you know, two friends who just <laughs> if nothing else, if we can't find time to talk to each other personally, we at least find time to talk to each other about this stuff and really enjoy it. So thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks to all of our new uh, followers on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you know, Twitter, hashtag no comrades under 1K. Please keep it up. Um, you can listen to us and rate and review us on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the iHeartRadio app. Please find us on Twitter at PolitiPopPod. Find us on Instagram at PolitiPopPodcast. Email us at PolitiPopCast at gmail.com. Find our show notes and sources at PolitiPopPodcast.wordpress.com. And today we will be writing out on the song Break the Chain, since we are talking about generational trauma and inheriting things from, from those who come before us. Uh, it's by Lupe Fiasco and Eric Turner. For the Politipop Podcast, I've been Mike Booch. I've been Ty. Thanks for listening. And no matter what you're reading, what you're watching, no matter what you're listening to, always remember to never stop thinking, never stop learning, and please read between the lines. Feel it in my bones and I'm sitting on the throne Like a killer with the chrome when I'm spitting on the poem Shed a whole lot of light on a little bit of home Yeah, this whole series does a great job. Actually, I'm going to do that again. It's like it didn't sound like I was just getting done drinking. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, this whole series does a really great job of having, um, I don't want to say like, the fuck was that? I don't know. Something through the mail slot. You drop the fucking comet through it. Dude, maybe know. maybe it's the 7th Cavalry. <laughs> maybe it's the 7th Cavalry. They're coming. <laughs> Take it out, podcasters. Maybe, um, fuck, no, I don't Sorry. know. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And scene. <laughs> what the fuck?